You are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Passionate, playful, solemn. Rob Deemer has been performed by the President's Own Marine Band, Rosher Saxophone Quartet, Great Noise Ensemble, American Contemporary Music Ensemble, and Pershing's Own U.S. Army Orchestra. As an author, Deemer has become well-known for his writings for New Music Box, Sequenza 21, and The New York Times. He holds degrees from the University of Texas at Austin and Northern Illinois University, and an advanced certificate in scoring for film and television from the University of Southern California. Deemer is head of composition at the School of Music at the State University of New York at Fredonia, and is the composer-in-residence with the Buffalo Chamber Players and Harmonia Chamber Singers. Let's talk about your piece Brass first. Right. First of all, are you a brass player? Uh, It's a trick question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, we already got uh, there. <laughs> um, I started uh, way back in the day in fifth grade playing uh, saxophone. So saxophone is my main instrument, and um, but for some reason I had this thing where I loved playing. I loved the idea of playing a lot of different instruments. And so when I was in high school and and specifically my sophomore year, I just decided I'd been playing a jazz band and I noticed that jazz band tend, you know, saxophone parts tend to pick up, um, you know, flute parts or clarinet parts. So I, I picked up both of those. I learned how to play both flute and clarinet. But at the same time, I was also miffed because I couldn't play in the orchestra. So right. yeah. I, I picked up tuba. And, um, so I, I, I learned, I taught myself how to play the tuba, uh, when I was 15 and over the years I played in a community orchestra playing tuba and, and euphonium. And, uh, I also picked up, uh, bass trombone and trombone when I was, when I was in college. And so it was, it was one of those things where I wasn't ever very good at it, but it was enough <laughs> that I wasn't going to embarrass myself. And so then when I was writing for brass instruments, you know, along the lines, and I also, I did my undergrad in, in music education, not in composition. So it, it really did help to, um, you know, we had to learn how to play all the different instruments in order to be able to teach them. So it was one of those things where, um, to make a, a short story long, uh, you know, it really did help for me when I got a chance to write for the Gaudete uh, Brass Quintet um, from Chicago, um, you know, to be able to to uh, come at it from a way where I pretty much knew what I was putting them through. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, e- even the really hard stuff, I'm like, I know this is hard, uh, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, especially the tuba player who's a really good friend of mine. Um, already, okay, I, I've already counted three parallels between us. First, same name. It's a great name. Exactly. Not not so much, I, you know, I know like one Rob that's younger than me, <laughs> and that's it. I think the name is completely going I, away, I, I but th- anyway. It, it very well could be. Secondly, in high school, I was a, I was a percussionist, and I learned um, double bass so that I could be in the string orchestra. There you go. And third, I was also a music education major, ah, there you not go. a composition major mm-hmm. in, in undergrad. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I took all those classes. I, 
I struggled through. Actually, low brass was was much easier for me. Um, I mean, I I hope this isn't going to offend anyone, but <laughs> if you pick up a euphonium, that sucker plays itself, man. Oh yeah, that yeah. was so easy for me. And then trumpet was very easy. Horn, of course, is is just impossible. Um, <laughs> and actually, all that all that training was very very helpful when it came to the um, the not only teaching it right. in um, right in you know the the um, oh the the situations we would get put in you know in in schools or whatever, but also down the line later for it writing for it absolutely right, right. but. Even with that background, I think I kind of have a strained relationship with brass instruments. I mean, I love I love writing for them in an orchestral setting or sure. maybe in chamber music settings, but I've always shied away from working with brass as the as like the central figure of a piece. So, can you talk about how your approach to these instruments makes them accessible in your process? Sure. Since I mean, you you are a tuba player, but you were it was like your second instrument yeah or fourth <laughs> it was okay I would, yeah I would or never whatever. actually yeah but it's 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 uh i i can get around it enough um but and it's interesting because uh i think a lot of it has to do with just conceptually what you can do with the instrument and how i think that that uh the um the concept of of how one envisions the role of the instrument and what the instrument can do can really limit or 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 free a composer in terms of what you can do with those instruments and how you go about it um because it's very easy to especially if you study uh traditional repertoire there have been very few composers up until the 20th century who've really uh, explored what the brass instruments can do. Um, and right, even then yeah. it was only with like the high, uh, you know, some, some, you've got the few trumpet concerti and the horn mm-hmm. concerti and whatnot. Uh, but for the most part, those were written for specific players back in the day. And it wasn't really something that was, it was more, I think, for the person, for the individual playing it, rather than for the instrument, you know, I, I, I kind of think of think of it like that. When I'm, uh, and of course that helps anytime when you're working with a with with performers from the composer's point of view to be able to think in terms of who you're writing for. But I think today uh, we can go into we can we can write something for brass instruments with the confidence that there are so many really good brass players out there that are hungry uh, to, to, you know, for us to write something that they can really sink their teeth into. Um, if we keep thinking of them as kind of like a tertiary, you know, if you think of like piano and strings as like your primary, you know, instruments that you write for, and then, oh, you bring in the woodwinds because, because, they can do a lot of stuff and oh brass and percussion are kind of like the 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 third the third stringers no it's Always. of course yeah. you know this is this is one of those things where where if you go at writing for a trombone or writing for a horn or writing for a tuba or writing for a trumpet in the same way at the same level that you would writing for a viola or a violin or a flute obviously they can't play everything at the same speed 
or agility based on the instrument, but you can still really uh, go into the, the compositional process of coming up with music in a way where you're thinking of it not as the in, not as the instrument, but you're writing music that happens to be form-fitted around what the brass instruments do really, really well and the sound of, of what they do. And I think that's really uh, what the concept of this piece uh, was, was, was based upon because the title, Brass, I've had a number of, of, of folks, especially I, at least a couple of reviews of the CD, you know, they, they thought they were being funny by kind of saying, oh, this guy was really unoriginal. He, he entitles the piece Brass. You know, <laughs> you, know you couldn't have come up with anything better than that. But the, the whole idea of the piece was a deconstruction of the instrument. So the first movement, uh, which is entitled Bell, um, second, in, second movement entitled Mute, third movement is entitled Slide. All three of those things are a part of the instrument. You're describing a, a portion of the instrument, but at the same time, all three of them uh, have double or triple entendres in terms of different meanings that they can you can interpret them, and and uh, uh, I think that was kind of it was kind of this de- deconstruction concept that I that I wrote the piece on. Okay, bell. Well, what are the different ways that you can think of as bells? And then and then that gave me a chance to to think in terms of um, how to be able to write that movement. With the with the third movement slide, yeah, um, you can. It it seems to me that pop music had had a part to play in that in that movement. Is that right? Yo, yeah, sure, yeah. So who were the who were the bands or the artists that kind of <laughs> factored into your into your thinking for that movement? Oh God, and it's been a while. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mentioned uh, earlier that my original instrument was a saxophone and mm-hmm. I got into composing through the back door of arranging for a jazz ensemble. And so I was mm-hmm. writing for jazz ensemble for years before I ever actually composed something original. Um, but even my arrangements were not just stock arrangements. They were more arrangements like you'd find with Gil Evans or Charles Mingus, where they were, you know, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty out there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, when I was thinking of it, I, I, you know, if you're thinking pop music, you might think of Stevie Wonder or, or some of those other horn bands like Tower of Power. Yeah. Or, right, yeah. or you know, those type of things from the 70s. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of harmonic stuff that's a little bit more like you'd find in kind of a jazz funk uh, vein. That, uh, that's so that's so funny that you you mentioned jazz because the only reason I joined the concert band in high school was to play guitar in the jazz band. There you go. And then, like you know, concert concert band being in concert band, you know, kind of led me to composition. Wow. Right. All right. So that's four. We'll just keep a running tally of the um, <laughs> of the similarities here. Was this your first piece for brass quintet or brass ensemble? Uh, not for brass ensemble. I've done a couple things. I did a piece um, called Fanfaria for 
uh, a brass ensemble, the Millar Brass Ensemble in Chicago, and that's been played a few times here and there. But this is the first time that I've written a concert work for for the brass quintet. You mentioned that there were seven, you know, that each title um, or each movement, its title has several different meanings, and you kind of went into bell. Mm-hmm. Can you talk, you know, can you just go a little bit further on that? Like, for instance, for bell, you know, right. obviously we're hearing we're hearing the bell tones right. that the brass players can make, and, you know, the pattern of the 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 succession of pitches is kind of reminiscent of tolling bells. Absolutely. But it, was there anything else? Uh I, I if, if I remember correctly, I uh, the the uh, the patterns and the 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 uh, the math in which and I'm I don't compose using math, but I did uh, come up with a kind of uh, a mathematical structure in terms of how to be able to lay out those peeling bell uh, patterns. Uh, so mm-hmm. that it's not just random and it's not just uh, the same thing over and over and over again. But it was a way, and if I remember correctly, it was based on the golden mean um, to to kind of uh, several times within itself. So it's kind of nested uh, nested golden means within itself in order to be able to to uh, to have that work. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was basically just the idea of how to be able to um, not just imitating the bells, but also tapping into uh, what me, at least, what I what I feel like when I hear bells, you know, and that that kind of almost from an emotional standpoint, um, when I'm hearing, especially say if it's uh, in the wintertime and you're hearing either church bells or hand bells or something like that, that 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 particular um, sound, uh, can can create this this uh, uh, almost meditative uh, feeling within, and and I tried to to reflect that in the piece.
let's talk about your choral piece now today. In your bio, it says that you're um, composer in residence with the Harmonia Chamber Singers. Yes. Was this piece today written for the Harmonia Chamber Singers? Actually, this this one was not written for uh, Harmonia. I've done a number of works for Harmonia, uh, but actually, this one was written for the uh, uh, the women's choir here at at State University of New York at Fredonia or SUNY Fredonia, as people call it. Um, mm-hmm. And this was actually written as uh, it wasn't a paid commission, but it was a it was a commission by the university uh, that I would write something for our commencement, our graduation ceremony. Oh, um, okay, okay. And so, yeah, so so writing a choral work for a commencement ceremony is tricky because you have about five thousand people in the room. They're celebrating the graduation of their child, and you want to write a piece that is going to be entertaining. Um, you want to write a piece that's going to be interesting. You're going to want to write a piece that's not too long um, and has some emotional tie to the day. And it's really hard finding text that yeah. that has something to do with... That idea, actually, if you looked at, I remember the first time because I've written two pieces for our commencement ceremonies over the years, and the first time I was reading it, I went online and, and did a search for graduation poems, and so many of them are depressing as hell, right? Because they're all like, <laughs> "Oh, it's the end of your days as a as a student, and now you're off into the world, and poor you," and you're. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I, you know, because of course, uh, you know, poets in general tend to be pretty, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't want to in, in <laughs> piss anybody off, but, but yeah, choose, they choose they, your words carefully, they, but, but they can, they can be a little maudlin sometimes. They, they like uh, digging into the real, you know, nitty gritty emotions uh, with their work, and that's all fine and good. <laughs> but if you're looking for a poem that you're like, what can I sing? What can I have sing in front of a whole bunch of parents and grandparents, <laughs> and and will actually like make them think uh that this is a good thing but that that piece actually went went uh uh really really well so this i mean this piece has a lot of uh predetermined restrictions on it you know it has to it has to be more or less accessible to someone in their 70s or 80s you know the grandparents in right, the room right and it has the time and it has the theme and and everything like that so I mean, that that was difficult, right? I mean, I I'm putting myself in that same position, <laughs> and and I have I have been in those positions before, but not to that extreme. So, what was I mean? What was it like for you to to try and sit down and say, oh, okay, I I I have to fit into this very narrow vein. Right. How am I going to do it? Well, it's really interesting um, that you bring that up because it ties into one of the other um, anomalies in my career as a composer. Because I mentioned I, I started out writing in in jazz, um, and I was a music education major. Um, f- after I graduated, 
with my undergrad in music education, I went out to Los Angeles and studied film scoring and because I wanted to be a film composer. And so at USC, yeah, yeah, I went uh, through the USC film scoring program. That was a year long program. And then I stayed for two more years living in North Hollywood and, you know, doing all sorts of writing for student films and doing sound design for the Mark Taper Forum and other 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 uh, uh, compositional and sound design uh, opportunities. It was a great experience and a great adventure. Uh, and after three years out in L.A., I came to the conclusion that, A, I had never actually studied composition. And so I was running into th- these these points where I should probably know what to do here. And, you know, you can, you can only get so far on raw talent before you're like, you know, I should probably go study with someone. And maybe they can tell me how to be able to, to do this. Um, and, and also, you know, I miss teaching. And so, so I liked the idea of going back into to grad work, and uh, you know, I did uh, three years of in a master's degree in composition and a performance certificate in conducting because I didn't know if I was going to be a conductor or not. That all kind of wraps around back into your question, uh, which is the idea of okay, well, how do you do that? And to be perfectly honest, that is very, very similar to you know, getting a, a film and going, okay, well, what am I supposed to write for something like that? You're basically collaborating right. with uh, the the choral director and the president of the university who um, um, last year was was the third year of, of our current president, Virginia Horvath, who not only is an English professor, but her, her, uh, uh, you know, one of her specialties is poetry. So, you know, you think about, <laughs> limitations <laughs> you don't want to piss off the boss right. you know and, and you're, you're, yeah, you're yeah, working yeah. with people who know what you're <laughs> they're not they're, yeah. they're, they're not uh, clueless on the on the topic so uh so basically i just kind of went into it you know kind of slipped back into my film scoring muscles so to speak because you you if you're arranging a piece for a big band, you're using, this is a, a uh, an, an analogy I use with my students all the time. If I'm writing for a big band, I'm using certain muscles. If I'm doing a film right. scoring thing, or if I'm working with a choreographer uh, and I'm writing dramatic music that has less to do with a narrative or, or maybe less to do with a form, formal structure, and maybe more of an abstract narrative, uh, then I'm using different muscles. And then if I'm doing a string quartet that, that, I want to have more of a formal structure, then I'm using different muscles again. And so it was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And and it's it's interesting, even after years of not doing film composing very much, it's interesting how easy it is to kind of get back on the bike and go, oh, yeah, this is kind of fun. And so really it was almost the idea of if I'm watching a movie of a – commencement ceremony what kind of piece would i want to hear in that commencement ceremony if i was watching that in a film and so i kind of wrote that from there but at the same time i'm still writing it with my own voice and it's not just a pat choral piece it's a it's 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 something or a, a simple stock choral piece it's something that i'm putting my own voice into and it it, it probably has little things that no other composer would necessarily put into 
Um, but it, it's that's that's you know the kind of the weird, funky process that I go through when I'm when I'm doing that. I think it's really important that you brought up that idea of using different compositional muscles. I was having that conversation with a student, you know, a couple of weeks ago who was who's so fixated on this this one thing and I'm like, "Can we do something else?" Yep. I mean, you know, you have a really hefty bicep, but I could knock you over <laughs> because your legs are toothpicks. Exactly. Like <laughs> 
you know so so that's that's really interesting for me um you said the the president of your university is uh you know a poetry scholar for for your other pieces that have used text yeah what are what are the qualities in poetry that attract you you know, That's is there big... is there a common thread that you can pull from each one of these things, or are they all very different? Uh, it is very different because I've. It depends on the nature of the piece. Sometimes I I um, gravitate towards narrative poems, even if they're relatively short, because I don't I don't usually like to set things that are too awful long. Uh, but if they're describing uh, something that's happening, there's there's a poem uh, called 2,000 Pounds by Brian Turner that he wrote while he was an infantryman in the first Gulf War. And it basically describes um, the uh, 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 a suicide bomber in, in, a, in a marketplace. Mm. And it describes what happens from a number of different viewpoints of different people in the marketplace. Something like that is really, really in- interesting to me because it is this kind of, it's, it's, it's a little narrative, but it's also abstract as well in terms of how it's, it's being presented. But at the same time, there are other times where, you know, you just find text that just resonates with you. Um, a lot of times it, I, I work with, I, I look for, for poems that, uh, really sing well you know i'm not a professional singer but but i have sung a lot from even from back when i was a kid and so i've i think i have a pretty good idea in terms of what poems just don't lay well in the voice and don't sound good to the singer or uh, to the to mm-hmm. the audience um there are a lot of poems i mean there are entire books of poetry for poets who i'd love to be able to set but I'm like, eh, just it doesn't the the cadence of of the words or or the 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 topic of the poetry just doesn't doesn't do it. And it, uh, of course, it also depends on whether or not you're writing for solo voice or um, an, a small number of different voices or a choir, uh, because that can drastically change. You know, one poem will work great sure. in one setting, but it'll suck in the other. So you really kind of have to play around with that. So we're going to kind of switch gears and start talking about uh, the oldest piece you sent me, which was La Maja Dolorosa, which means, uh, what, what, it, what does the title mean? The sad or the depressed uh, Maja, which is a, a, a title, Spanish title for, for a woman, uh, mistress, you, you might, it, it's not quite mistress, but it's kind of close. Uh, and basically the story of it is, um, that, that, uh, this woman, uh, this mistress has lost her lover and over the course of three sections, uh, in the piece, it's a, it, it's all one big long piece, but it's kind of broken up into three different sections. Uh, the first section she is enraged at life because she has lost this man uh she he's died and and she's just really you know furious at at uh at the tragedy of this of this event and then the second 
section, she starts to hallucinate, uh, imagining that he is still there with her. And uh, it isn't until the third section uh, where she uh, comes to terms with the fact that he is gone and that you have closure in that. And then so she is able to, uh, um, you know, close off that part of her life at the very end of, of the piece. Um, the, the piece, the text of it um, was brought to me by, by a good friend of mine uh, when I was at the University of Texas. Her name is Aurora Sein, and she's currently an opera singer in Germany. Uh, she's been there for many years, but uh, she was doing her undergrad at Texas when I was doing my doctorate, and she brought me this text uh, in a book of song texts. Uh, this particular text was written by Fernando Perique, uh for a song cycle by Enrique Granados around the turn of the century. And, of course, I'd never uh, you know, set... Um, I hadn't set that many things to begin with, but uh, I definitely hadn't said anything in Spanish. And so she actually asked her father, who who knew how to speak Spanish, uh, to record the entire thing in a way that I could really hear how it was supposed to be pronounced. And, and then um, the piece initially uh, was written for uh, Aurora, who's a... a glorious uh, soprano voice uh, and, and, and had a, a wide range. So it went very low and very high. And so I, I incorporated that as well as two really good friends of mine who played viola and piano. Uh, and so I, I, this is a way for me to kind of collaborate with my friends and say, Hey, let's, let's get everybody together and, and, and do this piece. And uh, she premiered it at her senior recital, and it was fantastic. And so we scheduled a recording session because, as a composer, you need to record all your pieces. Of, of course, yeah. <laughs> it, or else it. If you never don't record happened. them, they never happen. They That's never. Right. Yes, it's like if it's not on YouTube, it doesn't exist. If if you don't, uh, if you if you don't record your pieces, composers, they don't exist. Um, <laughs> so we get to this recording session and. The night before the recording session, Aurora comes down with a really bad illness, um, and she can't she can't sing. And I'm like, what the hell am I gonna do? I've got, you know, the recording engineer's already booked, and and everybody else is uh, is is ready to go. And so I improvised. I called up a very good friend of mine, David Box, who's a, a saxophone. Uh, grad student at the University of Texas at the time, and I'm like, "Hey, dude, you wanna you wanna record a piece <laughs> the next day?" <laughs> and and he's like, "Sure, what what, oh what, what, God, are, we, what awesome. are we doing?" And and uh, so basically, I I uh, you know I transposed the vocal part you know into B flat, and got him the music that night and. Uh, he had the morning to practice it. And, you know, of course, it's kind of a, it turns it into a vocalese. You know, it wasn't technically uh, 
demanding for him, but obviously it's like it's a 15 minute, 16 minute piece. It's a, it's a, there's sure. a lot of, you know, emotion there. But what you are hearing on this recording is basically, you know, uh, David Box playing the soprano saxophone part, uh, the vocal part you know, on soprano saxophone. Um, with with less than twelve hours rehearsal on the entire thing, <laughs> and it was it well, really it does, came it out well. It does it pretty convincingly. Oh, and it's I've I've used that uh, piece so many times for job. Uh, you know, you know, when I'm applying for jobs, and I think it's it's one of the best. Still, it's one of the best interpretations of the piece. Um, and it's been performed a number of times, and I do this. You, you were talking about what, what's a through line. One of the through lines that I, I am not ashamed to say is that many times, it, not every with every piece, but many times, if I write a piece for one set of instruments, I am entirely comfortable in going, "Hey, I wonder what this would sound like with this instrumentation." And, you know, I'll, I'll do almost kind of like a Baroque thing where you'll, or a Renaissance thing where, yeah, you can play it with these instruments, but you can switch this instrument out and, and switch this one out. So this, this, this particular piece, the piano part obviously stays the same. The viola part stays the same, but the solo part, the vocalese part, it has been done by soprano voice, soprano saxophone, violin, and another viola. It's even been like a viola duet with piano. Mm -hmm. And it's great because uh, with each of those four different instruments, you get a different character with that part, but it still works. So that's, it's kind of fun for me as a composer to be able to hear it with different... It's kind of like if you had an actor in a film and then you had the same film, but with a different actor doing that same thing. It's a slightly different take, but it's still uh, underneath. It still sounds uh, sounds good. So, so that's kind of like the weird story behind it. And then, of course, again, this particular one, you know, there's a lot of drama and and uh, um, uh, nuance in the poem and in the song text. And you know, I basically brought this to be like I want someone to when they're hearing. This music, I want them to be imagining, you know, this woman pining for this this man that that she's lost, and 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 I I hope it it uh, it works.
It's interesting that I mean, I I didn't obviously I didn't know the story behind the uh, the piece when I listened to it, but just from listening to it, I was I was you know I was looking at your bio and like oh well I think that there must be some kind of film or TV kind of background that's working here like that that part of your training is is coming to play here because it's the it sounds like you know the viola and the sax you know are two characters absolutely don't that they they almost rarely interact but when they do it's you know a big moment in the piece right so it's I mean, it's it's very interesting to get the fact that this actually has text. This actually has narrative <laughs> that's driving it. You know, so that's really interesting to me. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I've, it's actually happened to me two or three times where I will take uh, a melody that I've set uh, with text, but then you take the text away, and suddenly you find that the melody uh, stands on its own very, very well. And I've found that that actually works really well just as a compositional technique. If And, and I, I teach that to my students to, to go out, find a poem, set the poem, and then take the poem away. And then like never use the poem. Don't use it as a song. But let's say if you're writing for, for an instrumental uh, configuration, I'll use that as a way to be able to come up with something. It's kind of like a skeleton. You build something on top of the skeleton and then you pull the skeleton away and then you have a freestanding melody that totally works. It has shape, it has uh, uh, you know, texture and speed and whatnot, but at the same time, you, you, you have no concept that you don't need the text in order for it to be able to live on its own. That's I, that's a great idea. I love that idea. I'm <laughs> and, I might steal that from you. Oh, absolutely, dude. It's free of charge. <laughs> so, uh the last question I want to ask is a big question. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for the rest of your life? Wow. Um that's a good question. <sighs> I seem to remember when I was a young kid um, seeing concerts because I grew up in DeKalb, Illinois. It's it's not a large town, but it's it's a decent sized college town, about an hour and a half outside of Chicago. And um, the university there, where I actually did both my undergrad and my master's, Northern Illinois University had a lot of music going on. There was always concerts that you could go to. And I, you know, the idea of thinking, I want to play the saxophone. I want to play in a band. I want to play music. I just remember that from, from early, early on. At the same time, I come from a family where nobody else, uh, is a musician. I didn't, they didn't know hardly any musicians. Um, and so the idea of someone, uh, getting into music early on as a real serious thing, uh, before say you were, you know, before you were 10 or something like that, that was just very foreign to, to people to my family and, and, and to people at that time. 
uh, where I was. And so we didn't, we didn't see people doing that. And so there, there really wasn't much of a model for it. Um, and so when I finally got a chance to pick up an instrument, the funny thing was, is that I kind of sucked at the saxophone when I first picked it up and I, I could actually play a melody on the trombone. So the, the, the band director actually thought I was going to be a trombone player. Um, but, but I'm like, no, I must play the sax. I, I had this like inner thing of like, I must play the sax. This is my instrument. This is what I'm supposed to right. do. Um, and I remember even when I was a, a fifth grader, um, we went to a bunch of, uh, they, they brought the fifth grade class to, to, uh, uh, like a four day camp up in, up in Wisconsin. And, and the principal, uh, would sing this song to us every morning, and I wrote that song down. I figured in using my ear, I figured it out, wrote it down on a piece of paper, and and played it for him at at some some concert. So even here, I am fifth grade. I'm transcribing something that I'm that I'm hearing, and it wasn't long. You know, even when I was in into high school, I started writing a big band chart. My freshman year, I had no idea of anything. I didn't know what bass clef meant. I didn't know what chords were, but I just started doing it without anybody telling me how. I was reading books, and I'm like, oh, let's try this. And I would play it, and it sounded like crap. But I was like, <laughs> okay, wow. Like, oh, you mean a bass, you know, the notes on a bass clef aren't the same as tenor what, or treble? And, uh, and it was like, okay. So I just kind of like did it on my own. And I look back at it today and I'm like, why the hell didn't someone, I think it was probably a combination of people wanted to just let me do it by myself. But at the same time, they're just, they, they weren't thinking, Hey, we should help this person out. Fast forward, God knows how many years. And now I'm working with, not only am I working with young kids, uh, through both the New York Allstate uh, it's called NISMA, uh, the the Allstate organization. But I also work with the national organization, NAFME, um, of, of music educators. And I work with uh, both students and educators all the time. And I try. one of the things that I do is I work with educators to be like, look, if you see someone who is really interested in this Go with it, you know. Try, you know, I, I, and then when I'm working with the young kids, I put myself into the idea of I never got a lot of instruction when I was younger, and now I'm trying to be able to pass that on. So at least I'm giving them a chance to be able to get what I didn't get, you know, 35 years ago. And and so uh, in terms of why I got into music, um, I literally don't remember anything else that I wanted to do. It was just mm. by the time I was in sixth grade, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be a musician. I had no, I no other thing, nothing else that I wanted to to do. And it just kind of kept, kept going that way. 